You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. All right, Genesis chapter 12. We've been kind of lingering right here for the last couple of weeks, uh, preparing to get into the account of Abraham. And we'll actually dive in today as we begin to look at God unfolding his covenant with Abraham. So let's look at Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 together this morning. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you All the families of the earth shall be blessed. We started off a couple of weeks ago, and I introduced to you the concept that Abraham is more than just a historical narrative for us to consider. We said that the life of Abraham, his calling to salvation, how he grows in his faith, serves as an example for how salvation functions in the life of all believers. Okay, so in the New Testament, the New Testament writers are constantly referring back to Abraham and using him as an example for how salvation works for all believers. Okay, so salvation wasn't different for Abraham in the Old Testament than what it looks like in the life of a believer in the New Testament. Abraham is called as a pagan, idolatrous man. He, he's, he's, he's in a country that worships false gods. He is guilty of worshiping false gods. And then God comes in his grace and calls him to salvation, just like he does us in the New Testament. All of us were dead in our sins. And at some point in time in your life's history, the Holy Spirit called you out of darkness into light. It worked the same way for Abram. He was saved by grace. He was saved by faith, just like we are in the New Testament. We're going to see later on in Genesis 15 that that God says through his word that Abram believed God and that he counted it as righteousness. Paul reiterates those truths in Romans chapter 4. It's the same for us. We believe what God has revealed to us through faith and we are saved. And then we ultimately saw that Abram is saved for work. That not only does God intend to bless Abram, he plans to bless him so that Abram can then be a blessing to others. The intent is that as Abram comes into contact with other nations, as he interacts with those around him, that God's blessing to him is meant to spill over into the lives of those around him. Ultimately, we see that fulfilled as Jesus Christ comes through the line of Abram. We saw two weeks ago, as we began to start this journey, uh, that God calls us to salvation, expecting that we follow him fully. Following him fully, we saw that Abram's father, Terah, according to Genesis chapter 11, seemingly starts out on this journey with Abram. So God calls Abram, according to Acts 7, Stephen reiterating to us the account of this story. Stephen tells us that the call happened in Ur and that Abram's father left with Abram and they journeyed to Haran and that's where they settled down and they tarried there until he died. We said that a strong start doesn't guarantee a strong finish, that Terah seemingly has some type of conversation with Abram. Abram lets him know about this and Terah decides to journey with him, decides to go along with him but leads the family to settle in Haran, which would have been very much like Ur. It would have still been ingrained in the same type of idolatry. So we said a strong, a strong finish necessitates a faithful start. And we see Abram express faith in his God here, and it carries him through the rest of his life. We also talked a little bit two weeks ago about how Abram was to be a blessing, that we too were called to be a blessing to those around us. That, that the, the salvation that's extended to us, much in the same way as it was to Abram, was intended for us to then be a blessing to those around us. And I challenge you not to let that stay in a real generalized sense in your life, that instead for you to really consider specifically what that looks like for you. And we've talked before about our four contacts, our, our family, uh, our friends, our, our co-workers, those that we spend time with in our hobbies our neighbors, how do, how do we engage these people? How do we spend time with these people in a way that it's a blessing to them? Are we serving those people around us? And I challenge you that God has gifted each one of you differently in here. 
and that you have unique ways of being a blessing to those around you. And we'll continue to build off of those truths as we move into Genesis 12. Our summary sentence for today, so uh, to give you an idea, a roadmap of where we're going today, the call to salvation is ultimately a call to leave the trinkets of this fading world in order to receive the promised treasures of the world to come. What we see here in Genesis 12 is God's calling Abram to leave things in order to receive things. He's wanting Abram to let go of things that are temporary, that are not good for him, things that will ultimately hinder his spiritual growth moving forward, to let go of those things, to release them, to leave them behind, not so that he then experiences an empty life moving forward, but that he's able to then receive all that God wants to bless him with. A call to leave the things of this world behind in order to receive the things of the coming world before us. We said that here in Roman or in Genesis chapter 12, there's a shift uh, in Genesis one through 11. We've, we've gone through these passages and we've covered over 2000 plus years of human history in those short 11 chapters. The author Moses has, has sought has sought to, to give us a big overview of what took place during those years. We now look from Genesis 12 to 50. So the remainder of this chapter, we're talking about 400 years that we're going to cover. So Moses really begins to go more in depth with the characters and the narrative that we look at, specifically because he's writing to the children of Israel. And this really begins to take on uh, important relevance for those readers. Abram's importance is seen in that he is valued in several major religions. As we move forward and we begin to talk more about Abram, it's important for us to see that that he's valued, he's understood in some of the major religions out there. Judaism still holds to Abram as a forefather of their religion. Islam values Abram and and the responsibility and and the role that he plays in their religion. And I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, let us not forget to talk about Abraham when we talk about the gospel to those around us. That Abraham is our spiritual father. And I told you that I'm guilty too often times of sharing the gospel and disconnecting it from Abraham. And the New Testament tells us, draw upon Abraham. Draw upon his example. He's a great example of salvation by faith separate from works. He's a great example of a man who persevered and yet experienced many failures that encourages us. Encourages us that that we don't lose our salvation in the midst of our failures. That God continues to pull us out of those failures as he did Abraham to strengthen our faith. We said that in Christianity, Abram is viewed as our spiritual father for all those who believe. And we should share him accordingly with those around us. Why does God choose to create a nation? We said that Abram becomes the father of the children of Israel. But why does God choose to create a nation? We said up to this point, God has been working with mankind in general. But now that he's dispersed at the Tower of Babel, people into all nations, God chooses Abram because he wants to create a nation. But why does he want to do that? The Bible gives us a couple of reasons. First of all, God wants to create a witness. He wants a nation to be a light to a lost world. Isaiah chapter 49 Verse six says, it is, is it too, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. God's purpose in calling out a nation, calling out this nation of Israel was to establish them as a nation that would then serve as a light to those around them, that would draw people to salvation. And we, we've talked about how that happened, that Rahab catches wind of, of who this God of Israel is. And when, when Israel shows up to destroy her town, she opts to get in on what Israel is doing. Rather than running from God, she says, I want to be a part of Israel. Same thing for um, Ruth. Ruth, in her experience with Naomi, she says, I want your God to be my God. My experience of you leads me to want to worship your God. So God creates Israel to be a nation, to be a witness for him. Secondly, it's a deposit. God wants a nation to receive the Bible. He wants to deposit into this nation 
understanding of who he is so that that understanding can be passed on to others. Romans 3 talks about the advantage of being a Jew. Advantages of being a part of Israel is that they received the oracles of God. They had firsthand experience. They saw God reveal himself to them in a way that he was not doing with other nations. And it was a blessing for them to receive that. But it was a privilege that was meant to be passed on to others. They were meant to receive that revelation and then reveal it to those around them that were still in darkness. Remember, Tower of Babel, everybody embraces idolatry and they start to follow other gods. And so God says, okay, that's wrong. Let me reveal to you who I am to this nation. And then that nation will share it with others. It's the same concept in the New Testament. God has revealed to us who he is with the intent of us sharing it with those around us. A deposit. And then lastly, a channel. God wants a human line for the Messiah to come through. So three reasons that God calls Abram to produce a nation. He wants this nation to be a picture of holiness, to be a picture of salvation to those around him. He wants to deposit revelation to them so that it can then be dispersed to others. And then lastly, a channel of blessing. God wants a human line for the Messiah to come through. Fulfillment of Genesis 3.15, the one that would come to crush the serpent's head. So as we move into this narrative of Abram, we see that here in Romans or in Genesis 12, that God calls Abram to leave all. Now, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. God commands Abram to leave his country, his friends and his family. I want us to ponder that for a second, because I know. There there are several in our church that are praying about the prospects of moving to Uganda to help plant a church there. In order to do so, we're talking about a very similar response, having to leave the comforts and the security of our country. For those of you that have been out of the country, I don't know if you're like me, I feel feel very, uh, very unrested when I'm outside of the United States. I enjoy being on mission trips. I've, I've been on several to Romania. I've been on vacation trips outside of our country. But I'm always a little uneasy because I'm not in my comfort zone. I'm not aware of how things function. I'm not aware of the culture. And so I'm constantly trying to figure out, rather than just being relaxed and being myself and enjoying my surroundings because I understand them. So to leave one's country means to leave one's culture one's security, what one understands and knows. Abram's also called to leave his friends, to leave those that he best relates to. And you may as what you may have experienced as well. When you try to interact and engage with those from another culture, even it can be very difficult because once again, there, there are things that are different about how they've grown up and how you've grown up. You know, even with talking with Chris about the prospects of him moving to Uganda as the only American to work there, we've talked a little bit about just the uneasiness that that creates in him of not having a fellow confidant with him that understands him. We see the pattern in the New Testament. When they sent out people to plant churches, it was by two typically. Needing that encouragement and that assurance, someone who's like you, someone who understands you and understands how you've been raised and how you understand things to go with you. Abram's called to leave with his immediate family, but he's called to break away from those that he would have related to best. And then ultimately he's called to leave everyone that's not in his immediate family behind as well. Those, those strong relationships, those loving relationships, those family ties, he was called to sever those as well. Now, we know that God's call intended to separate Abram from his ties to this world. His family was so ingrained in idolatry that it was necessary for Abram to break free from them. They were going to be a hindrance to him moving forward. And so God calls him to break away from his family and his culture. God intends to create a clean slate so that he can present accurate truth about who he is. You see, Abram's been been raised and ingrained in the moon god worship of Ur. And so his understanding of God is distorted. His understanding of the supreme being is distorted. He's been taught inaccurate false things that have flowed from that experience at Babel. So his understanding of who God is is, is faulty. 
And so God says, instead of trying to change your thinking in this culture, I'm pulling you out of this culture because it wasn't just for Abram's sake, right? He's creating a nation that needs to have an accurate understanding of who he is so that they can accurately portray it to others. So God says, the best thing for you, the best thing for everyone moving forward is to pull you out, to start with a clean slate, and I'm going to start revealing who I am to you. True things about Yahweh, he wants to reveal to Abram so that he can then pass it on to others. What does Abram give up with God calling him to leave? He leaves security and comfort behind. We've talked about that. He leaves everything that he knows, but then he also leaves behind fame and fortune. See, Abram was in, was in line to be the head of the whole family. He was going to be able to take over and kind of be that patriarch, not just for his family, but for all of his family. He leaves behind the inheritance that he would have reaped from his dad as well. The land and the possessions that he would have occurred there, he has to leave those behind. And so it's a, it's a big break for Abram. He's leaving everything that he's known and everything that he was planning to know in the future to follow God. The implication for us, how this relates to us here in the New Testament, our starting point for salvation is a call to separate from this world as well. When we answered the call to the gospel, when we present a call of the gospel to others around us, it's ultimately a call to separate from this world. Jesus very clearly communicated that to those that sought to follow him in Matthew chapter 10. Verse 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus talking about the necessity of being willing and able to break free from any earthly relationship that would hinder us from following where God might would send us. In Mark chapter 8, verse 35. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And then in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, loses or forfeits himself? These, these truths being communicated by Jesus, the responsibility and the, the, the willingness to give up all to follow him. And we see those that weren't willing to do so. We see the man that wants to follow him but wants to wait until his father passes away. We see the individual that comes saying that he has a heart devoted to Christ, but is not willing to sell his treasures and then come follow Jesus, an unwillingness to break from, from their previous life. But Jesus says that the call of the gospel is a call to abandon all when needed, to separate from this world. Oftentimes we find that our failure to cut ties with our old life will typically create problems for us in the new life. Think about it for Abram. His unwillingness to separate himself from some aspects of his old life end up hindering his journey to the promised land, right? He brings father along. He brings Terah along, even though he was told to separate from his family. And from, from the way that it plays out, it looks like Abram got the call. He tells dad and then dad says, okay, let me organize this. Let me lead this. Abram falls under his father. Father leads him to Haran and they say, okay, let's just settle down here. And then Abram ends up wasting some years there because he followed his dad's lead, a dad that was not supposed to be on the journey. Lot comes along as well, and Lot will cause some hiccups along the way for Abram. And then some of Lot's sin that happens with his daughters will cause all kinds of hiccups for the nation of Israel moving forward as well. 
But there's also an interesting thing that I came across that I hadn't really picked up on before in Scripture. In Genesis chapter 20. So what's the, what's the big failure that we, that we often talk about when it comes to Abram? If we're going to talk about Abram not being a perfect man, that we don't want to elevate him obviously too highly, how do we bring him back down to earth? What are some of the things that we talk about that, that remind us that, oh, he's not Jesus? All right, Hagar, when he, when he doesn't express faith and instead seeks to, to create a line through, uh, Sarah's servant. What else? Yep, when he, when he lies about Sarah being his wife. Now, I know there's a separate incident, incident with Abimelech where that happens. So in scripture, we have two incidences where he lies about who Sarah is. Kind of tells that half truth. Cause remember we said she is his half sister. So it's, it's true to say that she's his sister. But what's most true about her now is that she's my wife, but he fails to mention that. But what's staggering to me is that this wasn't, this wasn't something that in the, in the heat of the moment, he panics and says, oh man, this isn't my wife. This is my sister. I don't want to die. This is something that was actually planned ahead of time. It was put in motion ahead of time. They worked it out. They worked it out before they were ever in that situation. Look in Genesis chapter 20, verse 13. This is in that that situation with Abimelech. Abram talking to his wife says, And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, This is the kindness you must do to me. At every place to which we come, say of me, He is my brother. This is something that he planned when he got the call from God. He planned this. He said, okay, we're about to leave. I don't know where we're going. I don't know where this God's going to take us. But we need to work out an arrangement right here. Wherever we show up, you tell him I'm your brother. Like this wasn't a a, a doubting thing in the the midst of of a heated situation where he panics. This was something that was planned. These are some insecurities that Abram possesses, that he holds on to, that doesn't that he doesn't let go of. Insecurities is his wife, from what we see in Scripture, was in a very was very attractive. Something that he worried about losing. So we see that Abram enters into this relationship with God, not just with family members that he wasn't supposed to bring along, but he also brings some insecurities into the relationship that he's not willing to let go of either. He's putting faith and trust in God, but he's still clinging to some things that he's not ready yet to put his faith in with this God, right? He, he believes that God's going to make a nation out of him, but he panics and thinks that God might kill him or, or God might allow him to be killed before he ever has offspring. These are early stages of Abram's faith development. Now we'll see later on, right? He's ready to sacrifice Isaac. And the New Testament tells us that he believed that God could raise Isaac from the dead if necessary. What we don't have yet is Abram believing that God could raise him from the dead. So he says, let me protect myself. Let me protect my wife. So Abram comes into this relationship with some baggage. He's hanging on to some things that he could have let go of. God promises Abram will receive all. So God calls Abram to to release all, to, to leave all, to let go of things in his old life, to abandon home and country. And to step out in faith and to move in a direction that God's not giving him a whole lot of uh, details about. That also is true about our salvation experience, right? When, when we receive the gospel, we put our faith and trust in a, in a historical story that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again. We put our faith and trust in a future event that Jesus Christ is coming again. But everything in between... God gives us no assurance about how it will play out beyond the fact that it'll turn out for good. Right? That's where the prosperity gospel is so damaging because the prosperity gospel wants to take promises that were given to Abram, promises of blessing, and distort that and say, okay, you come to Jesus and Jesus gives you all these things. Jesus blesses you materially with all these things. And it's a dangerous concept because we don't have those assurances in Scripture. If anything, we have assurances against it. That when we come to Jesus, we should expect tribulations and trials and pressures upon our faith. The assurance is that God carries us through those. But there's no assurance that life is better for a Christian when he comes to Jesus than it was before. Beyond the fact that our hope in the future is now secure. 
which for any true believer means that as we weather trials and temptations, it is far better to be in that situation knowing that we are in God's good intent and his love than it would be to any type, be in any type of prosperous or prosperous situation here in this earth. That's the assurance that a true believer is his mind is opened up to bigger things. We see that concept by Abraham in, in Hebrews 11 that it says he was looking to something far better than any earthly reward. He had a heavenly country in mind. And God makes these promises to Abram here in Genesis chapter 12. He promises him that he'll receive all. Now, I believe that Abram receives some promises here that don't necessarily apply to us as believers, right? He, he promises Abram things like fertility. We don't, we don't teach that coming to Jesus means that barren couples will now be able to produce children. But God does promise Abram that. He says, you're going to be a great nation. I understand right now you have no offspring. But the promise and the assurance was that fertility would now happen in the life of Abram and Sarah. In addition to uh, fertility, he's promised fame. He says, your name will be made great. And we can definitely see that playing out. We talked earlier that his name is great, not only uh, in Christianity, but in other religions as well. Abram's name has been made great. He's also promised fortune. And favor. God promises to bless those who bless him. To dis, uh, those that dishonor him. God says he will curse. So God promises Abram multiple things here. God ultimately commits himself to give what he promises. We've talked before. This passage is all about what God intends to do. Not what Abram has to do. Right? The, 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 the imperatives in this passage are what God says I'm going to do. Promises that God says I'm going to keep. He says, I'm going to show you a land. I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make you a blessing to others. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. These are things that God intends to do. God commits himself to Abram, and then he commits to protect Abram in the midst of these promises. Hebrews 11 reminds us of the faith that Abram demonstrates here. So for the flaws that we see in Abram, that he works out this arrangement with his wife to protect himself if anybody wants to take her as their wife. In these flaws, we see a great deal of faith by Abram. The Bible reminds us. And what I think what's neat in the New Testament is that the New Testament doesn't talk about Abram's failures, right? Like it doesn't, it doesn't remind us of those. those. Those failures are dealt with on the cross and what we see highlighted in the New Testament over and over and over again is his faith, his faith in God. It says in Hebrews eleven eight, by faith, Abram obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Abram obeyed when he didn't know where he was going. He obeyed when he didn't know how things were going to work out that God promised. It says by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Abram also believed when, uh, when he didn't know when these things were going to happen. Verse 13 says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Abram doesn't see all these promises fulfilled in his life, but he, he trusted and believed that they would be in the future. He also didn't understand why God was doing certain things in his life. It says in verse 17, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abram didn't, Abraham didn't understand what God was doing. Why, why was he calling him to do this? But he stepped out in faith and trust, knowing that God had made promises that he was obligated to keep. I put in my notes, rarely, rarely are God's commands accompanied with reasons, but almost always with promises. Think about that. God's commands. 
He gives them to us. And he doesn't always give us the reasons behind those commands. But he almost always gives us promises that he attaches to those commands. If you do this, these are things that will flow from that obedience. He attaches promises to his commands. And then I also put in my notes, never does God demand personal sacrifice without the compensation of greater blessing. Think about that for a second. Never does God demand personal sacrifice without the compensation of greater blessing. God gives us better promises than what we currently possess when he calls us to do something. He never calls us to make personal sacrifice without the compensation being greater, far greater than what we gave up. He reminds us of this in Luke chapter 18. Verse 29. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Here's one thing that I can assure you. That as we continue to move forward with the idea of planning a church overseas, that whoever ends up leaving, leaving home and country, friends and family, whoever makes that decision to go in faith, will never regret the things that were lost temporarily here in exchange for what God blesses them with there. We'll never regret that. Jesus assures us of that. Those that make sacrifices here on this earth receive far greater compensation for following in faith. Abram, none of us, none of us sit here and talk about what Abram gave up, right? It's hard for us to even say, okay, Abram gave up a lot because we see what Abram gained through his faithful obedience. So it's hard for us to even think about what he gave up to step out in faith. We have to really try to force ourselves back into his feet to see what he chose to do because we see all the blessings that come after the fact. That's true for our life as well. We abandon things of old to embrace things that he desires to give us in our new life. Abram moves forward in faith. God's promises to Abram are impossible, they're unbelievable, and they're untrue if you try to follow the reason of man. The things that God is promising to do do not make sense to us in our own reasons. But what's encouraging is that Job reminds us in Job 23, verse 10, He knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. Even though Abram steps out and doesn't know where he's going, Job says the encouragement is that God knows where I'm going, God knows where he's taking me, and God knows what he intends to do on the other side of where he's taking me, even though I don't fully understand the process of how we're going to get there. Abram steps out in faith, doesn't know how, doesn't know when, doesn't know uh, how this all plays out, but he steps out in faith trusting that God will keep his promises. God promises Abram a few things here, and these are the things that Abram receives. Abram is promised a great nation. So think about this. Abram leaves a country. He leaves his country. But in exchange, God gives him a nation. The Bible says that Abram's offspring are compared to the dust, to the sand of the seashores, and to the stars of the sky. This exceeds anything that Abram could naturally produce. But we're reminded in Romans 2 and in Galatians 3 that God... God gives Abram descendants that are not just tied to the physical descendants that he produces, but to the spiritual descendants. God produces a great nation through Abraham that we as Gentiles have been grafted into. A better promise than what Abram currently possessed. He's also promised great blessing. Great blessing. Yes, he lost his family inheritance, but God gives him far more through his obedience of faith. He's promised a great name. He loses his family, loses that, that right to oversee his family in Ur. But God has given him a far greater name than he could have ever built for himself in that country. 
So God makes a lot of promises. The only imperatives really here for Abram are two things. One, we've already said he's commanded to go, to leave things behind. And then secondly, he's called to be a blessing. He's called to be a blessing. Everything else is tied to what God intends to do. God binds himself to Abram. Then he puts safeguards in place to protect him. God says, I'm going to protect you. So not only does he give him these things, but he also gives him ultimate security. Something that Abram has to learn to trust in, as we've already said. The implication for us this morning for for our salvation. Our salvation doesn't require that we make promises to God. Rather, it involves us believing promises that he makes to us. And that is the difference. That is the difference between a law-based understanding of the gospel and a grace-based understanding of the gospel. We've all been probably in those settings where we were convicted about sin in our life and we felt like the appropriate response was then to make promises about how we will never do it again. I had to get on to AJ for something the other day. Uh, we're, we're potty training him and he, he had an accident and you know I was expressing to him because it was... It was a, a thing that he understood, and he just chose not to stop playing. And so we're talking it through, and he's kind of crying about it. Um, and he's he starts assuring me. He says, Daddy, I'll never do this again. I'll never do this again. I'll never do this again. Uh, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, you're going to do it again today probably. And, and that's a good reminder that God's thinking the same thing when we're making promises to him about how we're never going to do it again. But the goodness of the gospel The truth of the gospel, what makes the gospel good news to be passed on to others, it's that God has made promises to us, just like he made promises to Abraham. And it's not promises that we then have to in turn make back to him. God's covenants are things that he keeps because he is a faithful God. Our salvation doesn't require we make promises to him. We instead believe the promises that he makes to us. Our perseverance in the faith is tied to our ongoing belief in the promises of God. That's how we continue to persevere in the faith as we hang on to these promises. It's what kept Abraham going. In the midst of uncertainty and confusion, he continues to cling and hold on to the promises that God has made to him. John Popper has a great book called Battling Unbelief, and he ties our failures in sin to our unbelief in promises that God has made. See, we don't have Abram saying, hey, guys, let's go back to earth. Things are getting tough. He never loses sight that what God has called him to is better than what he possessed. Now, we do see that failure in the life of Israel when they leave Egypt, right? They are lacking belief in God that what he's called them to is better than what they were in. Now, they're in that process, they're in that journey, so they're not experiencing the promised land. Now, if they were all kicked back, reclining in chairs, eating grapes and drinking honey in the promised land, they'd be thinking, why would we ever want to go back to Egypt? It's in the midst of the desert, before they get there, that they start saying, you know what, let's let's retreat, let's go back. Abram doesn't do that. But we see this sometimes in the life of Christians. They're in a, they're in a dry spell, they're in a, they're in a difficult time, tribulation, trial sets in, and they start to think, okay, Let me go back to the things of the world. Let me go back to the sin that I believe satisfies me. And it's a failure to believe that the future is far better than anything we can possess in the here and now. God has made promises, promises that he intends to keep to his children. The call to leave for Abram was appealing due to what he was promised to receive. See, as Abram reconciles with himself, am I going to leave Ur to go somewhere that I don't even know where I'm going? What it really boiled down to is that Abram believed these promises are better than anything I possess right now. He saw that the the, the hope and the promised life in his future was better than anything he felt like he could build in the here and now. Which got me thinking yesterday, what, and I don't know if you've thought about the gospel in these terms recently, But if we were to communicate the gospel to someone, how faithful are we to communicate the promises of the gospel that sings a type of music to them that would cause them to leave the things of this world? What what type of promises does the gospel make to us that would say that would cause us to say that hope, that future is far better than what I currently possess? You'll remember in. 
First Thessalonians, when we were there a couple of years ago, First Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul talks about the people in Thessalonica much like we would of Abram, a man who was in idolatry, who turned from false gods to the one true God. It says in 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 through 10, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Paul says these people left their old life of idolatry and embraced a new a new following of this God that we introduced them to. And they began to wait upon Jesus and his return. I believe there were promises that Paul communicated to these people. Promises that God wanted to make to them in response to them trusting and believing those promises. So let's, let's, let's get some feedback from you before we, we wrap up today. What are some key promises that you believe the gospel makes that are appealing to someone in darkness? Key promises that the gospel makes to us. Promises that we could call other people to believe in. All right, Jesus is coming back. All right, life both here and the hereafter. New bodies. He'll make us new. Okay, place without suffering, place without sickness and sadness and suffering. Okay, that we're not alone, good. More than conquerors. Romans 8 is chock full of promises that are that are worth considering constantly uh, that help us persevere. Free from guilt, good. Okay. Sin has no reign over us. No condemnation. What else? Somebody in the back? Okay. Someone loves us? Good. All right, these are all true things. These are promises that the gospel makes. What can be difficult is that uh, when, when, when needed to call upon these things to communicate to someone, it may be difficult to pull uh, if we don't have them committed to memory. And so what I wanted to kind of wrap up with today is I wanted to give you really a lot of the things that you've stated, but to try to do so in a way that you could potentially commit to memory, both for yourself and your own encouragement to draw upon these truths when needed, but then also to be able to draw upon these things to communicate to those that we share the gospel with. As we, as we communicate the gospel, being faithful to communicate it in a way where Someone understands that it's about believing promises versus making promises. Because here's the thing. Most of us that we interact with, most of the people that we interact with are ingrained to think that works are necessary to be right with God. It's just a matter of which works am I supposed to be doing. And most when they hear our explanation of the gospel think that we're simply asking them to change the things that they're doing and now start doing these things and now you're doing the right things. So it's very important that we communicate the difference in the gospel that we believe than the gospel that they may, the gospel that they may be hearing when someone shows up at their door and knocks on their door. Rob shared a great story. Uh, he was, he, he met up with a Mormon friend of his from high school. Hadn't seen him since high school. Now, I don't know how much of Rob's testimony he shared here, but Rob in high school. So Rob was my roommate in college. In high school, Rob was a heathen. Uh, the, the stories that he tells, God rescued him out of darkness, darkness. And so when he meets up with this guy who was a Mormon in high school, uh, this guy's really impressed in the, in the, the life change that Rob has experienced. And so the, the, the guy makes a statement. He says, you know, Rob, we basically believe the same thing. And, and rather than just jumping and pouncing on that, Rob says, well, that, that's, that's interesting. He said, um, I've only heard other Christians tell me what Mormons believe. Let me ask you some questions so we can determine if we really do believe the same thing. 
And so Rob kind of walked through some of the things that I shared with you several weeks ago. How do we determine if this is someone that we partner with or we contend against based on their view of the gospel? So they're walking through and, you know, he says, well, tell me about the afterlife. And, and this guy's saying, well, we end up ruling over uh, our own worlds and we get to be gods. And, and Rob says, well, I believe that we are with the only God. And, and so they're kind of talking about it and they get to the end. And, and the Mormon guy looks at Rob and says, we don't believe the same thing. And, and, and Rob said, no, you're right. We don't. Um, and and the, the Mormon guy made a statement. He said, your afterlife sounds boring. He says, here I am over here creating worlds and, and being a God. And he says, you're telling me that you worship Jesus for eternity. He said, that sounds boring. And, and Rob's response was, you don't know my Jesus. You, the only reason you think that's boring is because you don't know the Jesus that I know. Because if you knew the Jesus that I know, you would not think that to be boring. So it's very important that we understand our gospel, the gospel that we hold to, the gospel that the apostles held to is a gospel where God makes promises, not we trying to make promises to God. So let me give you a, 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 let me see how many there are, five, five. And for your convenience, they all start with the letter F. Why? Because I want it to be memorable. I want it to be something that you could draw upon. Again, while all these things are great that were mentioned here, if I asked somebody to name everything that was just shared, several would get left out, right? Because they were worded differently, they were shared differently. This is a way to remember important truth that we could draw upon later. Key promises of the gospel. Number one, forgiveness. Now you could unpack this. You could unpack this and explain a lot about this. But if you could commit these five things to memory, these five promises, it would give you a wealth, a wealth of truth to present to someone as a means of encouragement as to why they should respond to the gospel. Forgiveness. God clears our past, present, and future record of wrong. That's, that's so good. It's so good because it's what so many people struggle with. Past failures that they can't seem to get over. You may have talked with people that said, God could never love me because of things that I've done in my past. You may have talked to people that say, God could never love me because of what I'm currently doing in my present. But the gospel goes even further and secures us that there's nothing that we could do in the future that would separate us from his love. Ultimate forever forgiveness. That promise is extended to us through the gospel. That he takes our sins and he separates them as far as he can. Never to recall them again. He promises the gospel forgiveness. Secondly, freedom. God rescues us from the dominance of sin. He releases us from the demands of the law. He empowers us to do good. You can unpack what freedom means all day long. But it's, a, it's an important promise that God makes to us through the gospel. Something that's available to those that put their faith and trust in Christ. Matthew chapter 11 verse 28. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God promises freedom to us through the gospel. Freedom from sin, freedom from the law, freedom to do good. Third, he promises us, whoa, whoa, family. Family. One of the great truths of the gospel is that we get adopted into his family, which, which has all kinds of connotations for how God interacts with us as his child, but also has such important implications for how we now interact with the rest of his family. Many of us come from situations where we didn't have a dad involved in our life, or we didn't have a mom for as long as we wanted, or we didn't maybe have the benefit of growing up with solid brothers and sisters. Those things that were absent from our physical family are now given to us through our spiritual family. You can be a part of this local church or any local church that's a Bible-believing church and be able to experience the wealth of knowledge that comes from godly men functioning like dads, godly women functioning like moms, not just one mom in your life, now multiple moms in your life, multiple brothers and sisters in your life that encourage you and hold you the truth of the gospel. It's a benefit. It's a promise that God makes with the gospel that, that we can be adopted into a family 
We can be safe in the confines of that spiritual family. Number four, favor. Just as God promised Abram to watch over him, God makes the same promise to us in Romans 8 that his good intent rests upon our lives. God's good intent. While we couldn't give anybody assurance about what their life will look like after following Christ, we can't give them tangible, God's going to do this, God's going to do this, God's going to do this. We don't have the privilege of looking into the future and telling someone their fortune. But we can promise to someone, you put your faith and trust in Jesus. You believe the promise that Jesus Christ came and died in your place to atone for your sins. And before he did that, he lived a perfect life for you, a life that that's demanded of you, a holy life, a perfect life that you could never live. Jesus came and earned that righteousness for you. You put your faith and trust in his work over your own work. What I can assure you is that moving forward, everything that happens in your life, God will use for your good. Even even heartache and trouble, God will work for good in your life. That's an unbelievable promise that I cling to constantly. Unbelievable promise that we can cling to. That no matter what we face moving forward, we are under the security of a God who in the same way bound himself to Abram and said, you're my guy and I'm going to protect you and watch over you and guard you. God binds himself to us and says, you're my guy, you're my girl. And I've started a work in you and I'm going to finish that work in you. So everything that happens in between is a part of that process. It's an unbelievable promise that the gospel makes to us. And then lastly, a future. Many people wonder and and question what does life look like after this life ends? And we have the answers to those questions. God promises new bodies, new bodies that experience eternal joy. Matthew 19, 21 Again, you could unpack these all day long, but these give you five things to draw upon that I believe most all the promises that we talked about could flow out of one of these. Matthew nineteen twenty one. This is the, the rich guy that comes to Jesus. Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. Jesus doesn't promise him earthly treasure. He says, get rid of the earthly things and put your faith and hope and trust in the heavenly things that are come. New bodies, a new earth, an earth that is described as a place there. There is no suffering. There is no sickness. There is no death. All of the bad things of this earth removed and only good things put in its place. Those are the things that we hope for as Christians. Those are the future promises that we cling to now forgiveness freedom family favor and future five promises that the gospel makes that we could draw upon all day long five promises that we need to faithfully communicate to those around us application for us is we rejoice over jesus who fulfills all promises in the form of our great salvation See, what we find in the New Testament is that everything we're reading about in the account of Abram in the Old Testament points us to Jesus. In Luke chapter 1, verse 68, John the Baptist being born to Zechariah, Zechariah says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham. To grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies. Might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Zechariah says, Jesus is coming and he's the fulfillment of everything that was promised to Abraham. Acts chapter 3, verse 25. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring 
shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you. God says, I'm bringing blessing through Abraham. What type of blessing? Material blessing? No. It says to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. We see the fulfillment of promises made to Abraham in the New Testament. God turns us from our wickedness. He blesses us by illuminating our minds to the gospel truths so that we turn from our old life to life with Christ. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much that when mankind abandoned what they knew about the creator and instead began to glory in the creation at the Tower of Babel, God, we thank you that you didn't give up on mankind. And that when mankind learned false things about the creator and began to pass those false things down to their children, God, we're thankful that you looked down at a man named Abraham who was raised to worship the moon. And you refused to let that go on. God, we're thankful this morning that when you called Abraham to leave his old life and to enter into new life with you, that it wasn't just about Abraham. That you had a global plan in mind when you chose to save him. And Father, as we're reminded in Romans 9, 10, and 11, that as believing Gentiles, you have graciously included us into the family line of Abraham through faith. And so, God, while we might sit here today without Jewish blood running through our veins, we rejoice over the fact that we can sit here today with the Holy Spirit indwelling our hearts, which unites us to you. And, God, we rejoice over the promises that we see that you made to Abraham even those that don't directly apply to us, because as we see your faithfulness to Abraham, it gives us confident trust in your faithfulness to us in the New Testament. And so, God, we rejoice over these promises that we do cling to. We thank you for the forgiveness that's extended to us through the gospel. We thank you for the freedom that we enjoy now. Freedom and rest from from the belief that we have to serve you faithfully in order to earn your favor. God, we're thankful that you freed us from the demands of the law by fulfilling them through Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for the family that we're surrounded with today. And not just this family, but the global church. God, we rejoice with Chris and Maggie and Melissa as they are interacting with our brothers and sisters on the other side of the world. We thank you for that extended family, that that safe confine of being able to know that others are doing and pursuing the same things we are. God, we thank you for the favor that we leave with today, knowing that you have good intent for us as your children. And God, we anxiously look to the future promises that you've made, hopes of new bodies that are free from the decay that we experience every single day around us. We're thankful for the eternal joys that are set before us knowing that the things of this world, the trinkets of this world, pale in comparison to what you've promised to give us. God, we look forward to that new life on a new earth with new bodies, worshiping the same Jesus that Abraham left his country for. Father, I pray that you would encourage us this week. God, give us the the mindset that we have been blessed so that we can bless others. Pray that that we would be faithful to the Great Commission to share the gospel to those that that are uh, yet to respond. And Father, I pray that we'd be faithful to share the gospel with those that are believers that need to be discipled and grown up in their faith. Father, help us to be a blessing, be an encouragement to those we come in contact with this week. We thank you for Jesus this morning and his fulfillment of all these promises. Help us to be encouraged and to encourage those as we leave today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.